So my name's Christian, by the way. I'm the lead pastor here at City Light. I see a number of new faces. We're super excited that you're here today. And today we're so honored. We're going to continue with our How to Be Brave series. Um, And there's a a person in our church who's a good friend of mine who has agreed to share um, her testimony. She's going to be sharing it via video. And um, so some of you may may know her. Um, She tends to stay behind the scenes a little bit. So some of you may not know her. But uh, I'm just going to warn you, this, is, this, this week is going to be a little bit heavy, okay? Um, we are, we're going to talk about today, we've been talking about how to like face your fears and overcome your fears and battle anxiety. Today we're going to talk about what happens when your worst fear is realized and how does your faith sustain that. So um, we're going to show uh, Rebecca's video here and then I'm going to talk. About two and a half years ago, my youngest son, Lucas, was diagnosed with cancer. And hearing those words were what I think is probably every parent's worst nightmare. He was this extremely active and healthy little boy. Um, And my initial response to this news was just absolute shock and, and denial. But things took a pretty terrible, quick turn for him, and I was forced right into battle mode. And even though I was terrified, I knew I had to keep this brave face on for Lucas and for my other three boys. And I watched him and his body go through nightmare after nightmare, and there was absolutely nothing I could do about it. I had no control over it. But the entire time, I trusted that God wouldn't let anything happen to him. Um... I knew that he could perform miracles, and I had no doubt that he would heal Lucas. And Lucas fought and overcame so many things for over 14 months, and he was showing all signs of remission. But we found out soon after that that his cancer had come back with a vengeance and had spread, and his body was no longer responding to treatment. Lucas died in June of last year, just four days after his 10th birthday. And even on what would end up being that last morning, I just knew that God was working and he would come through for us. But we never received that miracle that I was so sure of. And everything that I believed in was called into question that day. And I was and I still am angry with God. And I wrestle with that anger because I know he could have stepped in and saved my son. It's it's just a fight to be here and to get up each day when all I really want is Lucas. And I have no idea how to navigate this level of pain and grief and the so many new fears that have come along with it. You know, I find myself constantly wondering if heaven really exists and and battling this overwhelming fear that if it does, I won't make it there to be reunited with Lucas. And I'm afraid that he'll be forgotten and that I won't be able to be the mom that my three other boys still need me to be or that my marriage can't possibly survive this nightmare. And I fear that, you know, this constant feeling of brokenness and emptiness is all I'll ever feel again. But every day I have to make a conscious decision to get up and try to stare down this grief and all the fears that have come along with it. And I know now that God is the only thing that has held me up. And I've seen firsthand the many ways that he's doing that. And I've accepted that this is a long and ugly road, but I continue to give it all I can give. And I try to be easy on myself when there's nothing left to give. 
And I just think of my sweet boy and his beautiful blue eyes. And I think of how hard he fought. And I remind myself that giving up is not an option. I've had to accept that we may not always get the answer we want from God. That's not how this works. But that doesn't mean he isn't working in our lives. And I've chosen to walk this path with faith, even when I'm angry and I'm confused. And I trust that he's right here with me along this journey. Um, <clears throat> so, Rebecca, I just want to say that you are so brave. Amen. And um, I've watched this too many times this week already. Um, and your family, I just want to tell you guys that we love you. And we're honored to have you as part of City Light. Um, you bring so much to us. And um, so I just wanted to say that. We love you guys. Rebecca said if I started crying ugly up here, she'd come give me a hug on stage. So we'll say I was trying to keep it. I don't know what pretty crying is, but okay. So um, some of the things that Rebecca said are just, I just wanted to, to pull out because I think they're, they're things that we would all say if we were honest. I trusted that God wouldn't let anything happen to him. I had no doubt that he would heal Lucas. Everything I believed was called into question in that day. And I'm still angry with God and wrestle with that anger because I know he could have stepped in. And this is, this is the hard thing, probably the hardest thing about faith, is when we know that God could do something and he didn't. And what do we do with that? What happens to our faith when our fears are realized? So what I want to do today, guys, is I'm <clears throat> normally I'm a, let's take one part, one passage of the Bible and let's talk about one major thing and let's apply it to our lives. I'll just be vulnerable with you. I've wrestled with what to do today. I, I can't, there is no one thing that I can say about this. And as a pastor, what I would love to give you if, is, is kind of the foundation of faith that can withstand life. Because you're all going to be here at some point. Either you've been here or you will be here or you'll be there again. You will be in a place where life does something that challenges your faith that makes you question God, makes you question his goodness and his love. And so I, I want to do my best. It's not, it's not going to be the cleanest one-point teaching that you've ever heard. I'm going to use a lot more Bible verses than I've ever used here. And, um, and you guys are just going to have to suck it up, okay? So um, what happens to our faith when our fears are realized? The big question is, if God is able and he is good, then why didn't he? And I think, and, and you guys know, most of you know my story. Some of you are, are here for your first time, might not know that Mandy and I, we, we've had grief in our lives as well. Um, in between our third and fourth living children, we lost two children to stillbirth. And so I have asked this question, God, I know that you're able and I know that you're good. Why didn't you? It feels like, it feels like if I were a father, which I am, and my child was about something horrible was about to happen to my child, and I was able to stop it, and I wanted to stop it, right? I was able, and I was good, and I just let it happen anyway. And I, and I, and I would look at God when I was in the, the real, the dark places of my grief, and I would say, God, I think I'm a better father than you are. If I'm being totally honest, because you are more able and more good 
And yet you chose to do nothing when I cried out to you to heal my daughter. When we first found out that our our second child was not moving in the uterus, we didn't rush to the hospital because we already knew, right? We were at the birth center and, and going to the hospital meant the whole beginning of the procedure of giving birth and having to hold your child who's no longer alive. So, you know, we went to the church first. We went to the church and we gathered some people we trusted and we prayed that God would heal or even raise this child from the dead because we believe in miracles. We believe in a God who does great things. We believe in a God who defies the odds. And I still believe in that God. And so it was personal for me. God, why did you look at my situation? Right? Why not Lucas? And it, and, but that's true for all of us. Why me, God? Why my job? Why was it my job that got lost, God? Why was it my friend? Why was it my marriage? So if God is able and he is good, then why didn't he? And so what we start to do, I think, to help ourselves deal with that cognitive dissonance or that emotional dissonance is we start to chip away at one of those two things about God. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to just... I'm going to just push into our belief system today. So some of us try to say, it'd be easier to believe that he can't than that he won't. So God, we start to chip away at God's ability. So we start to believe or say things or even teach in church that God is not a healer, that God is not miraculous, that God does not answer prayer. Right? There are whole churches, whole movements that teach that, that, that God started things and stepped aside, or that since the writing of the Bible, since the last apostle died, there is no more miracles, there are no more healings, there are no more answered prayers. We just need to hold on to God until heaven comes and get through this life. The problem is that there's a whole lot of scripture and there's a whole lot of Jesus that says things like, uh, knock and the door will be open to you, seek and you will find, ask and it will be given to you. So our experience and what we know in Scripture sometimes don't line up. And I would argue we can't, we can't say that God can't. That takes away from so much of who he is. So then maybe we start to say, okay, well, if he can and he's not doing it, that means he's not fully good. And the way we do this, we don't come out and say, I don't think God's good. But we decide to attribute what I would call evil to God. And we start to say things. And, and listen, Listen, I said. Okay, I can't touch that anymore. All right, can't touch this. Watch out. Um, this one's on too, Tyler. So maybe I should turn it off. That might help. Okay, so what we do is we, we okay, so I, I need to tread lightly here because, listen, if you disagree with me, that's fine. That's what we're all about here at City Light. I'm just giving you my read from my experience in studying scripture. Thank you. Thank you, God, that on one of the hardest teachings, I have so many technical difficulties. I really appreciate that. God is good. Okay, um, we would rather, see, we would rather that evil happened inside of God's control than that it happened outside of God's control. And so we say things like, God took my child. God took my job. Or, and, and this is, I might step on some toes here, there's a reason for everything. Right? I stepped on my wife's toes there. We had a, we had a nice discussion about that this week. 
What I mean is, like, do, do, in order to deal with this, we start to say, well, I want God to be in total control. I want to believe that God's in total control. So all things that happen are God. So when negative, bad things happen, that is God, and there's just a reason for it. And that's where we go to for comfort. My, my child was taken from me early and, and suffered, but that's God. There's a reason for it. And I'm just telling you, from what I study in the scripture and from my, what I believe is, that's just not God. See, because you can't square that with things like the verse that says that there is, in God, there is no darkness. God is light. In him, there is no darkness. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, in whom there is no change. So I told you I'm going to throw out a lot of scriptures. I'm sorry about this. But Jesus is fully good and fully able. We, we, if we start to attribute evil to God, I think it blows up so much of what Jesus says that he came to deliver us from evil. How can, and even Jesus himself would say things like, a house divided against itself cannot stand because if I'm doing evil and yet I'm overcoming evil, I can't play for both teams. So God is both able and good and it creates tension for us. It would be easier to write some of this stuff off. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead us there. But this is, there is tension here. So what I want to tell you guys, I want to go all the way back to the beginning. And in five minutes, I'm going to sum up the whole entire history of mankind. You ready? Okay. Back in the beginning. Because this is where, I'm, I'm just like, if we were sitting in my office or if we were out to coffee and you were like, Christian, I don't understand why God lets bad things happen. This is where I go in my heart. This is my, my train that I, of thought that I get in. God created us in his image. And some of you may be new to church. You may never have heard language like that before. And that's fine. But what we understand is that when God created us, we are created different than animals and trees and mountains and streams. That we are actually created in the image of God. We are image bearers of God. And one of the things that is unique is that we have the power of choice. In fact, he gave us this power that's so powerful, we could even choose to go against him. And humanity for all of time has chosen that over and over and over again. And what that did is it broke the system that God originally intended. God never intended sickness and death and pain. He never intended uh, suffering he never intended broken relationships, injustice, or poverty. But our decision, see, there was a way of life that God initially set up, and we have chosen another way, collectively, as mankind. And that is the reason that Jesus had to come. See, God knew from the beginning that to save us from ourselves, his son would have to die and raise again to overcome the sin and the consequences so I go all the way back to that. Because when I look at Lucas, when I look at my children, when I look at suffering, when I look at, um, you know, one of the partnerships I had with a nonprofit years ago was Love 146, and they would work with freeing children and working with kids who are coming out of sex trafficking. When I look at that, I don't see God in that at all. I can't say, well, there's a reason for everything. That is brokenness. That is not God. It is the absence of God. And that's what we deal with. Now I'm going to get real theological on you. All right, so we got to put our big boy, big girl pants on. Here we go. Ephesians 1.21 tells us not only that Jesus came not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. I'm just introducing a concept. There are, 
The Bible all the time refers to the age that we live in and the age that's to come. Now, I've created some great artwork to help you understand this. I hope you appreciate. I am very talented. That was a joke. Sorry. No jokes today. All right. So this age and the age to come. When Jesus returns, it's going to start a new age. He talked about that all the time. If you read the Gospels and you read Jesus' teachings, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he talks all the time about coming, returning, and starting a new age. But what we know about the age we live in right now is that it's an evil age. In fact, it says that he gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. So the age we currently live in, and it doesn't take a genius to figure this out. Who would look around your life and look around the world right now and be like, yeah, this is pretty much heaven, right? No one would say that. We live in an evil age. We live in a time when these things happen. When you picture Jesus being in total control of something, I hope you don't picture this because this is not God's will. I really want you to hear that. For those of you who have suffered, who have lost, who have hurt, and maybe people have told you, God, that's God's will in your life. I I would argue with that. I think that it, it brings a measure of comfort because it explains it, but I'd rather live in some tension and allow God's integrity to remain intact. God is a God of goodness. He is not a God of pain or violence or poverty or injustice. Another thing we know is that Jesus will come a second time. And he will come not this time to solve our sin issue, but to bring salvation. And that second time will be the new age that we talked about. Listen to how he describes it. He will wipe every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order. The old age, the evil age that we currently live in will have passed away. That is good news, isn't it? That's why they call it the good news. This is what Jesus referred to over and over and over again as the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And basically what that means is if there was a place where Jesus was in charge, that's it. The kingdom of God means The opposite of all these things that are happening right now. Peace, justice, healing, life. So we have these two ages. I'm going to show you. But the next age, there's going to be a little bit of animation. You ready for this? Boom. Hold on. Let's go back to it again. Ready? Oh, yeah. Look at that. The age to come is going to be better. That's the only way I could graphically represent that it's going to be better. Do you get it? You went? No, shaking this out. Okay. So evil age, better age, but there's still something else that's going on. And this is where it gets really confusing, interesting, and encouraging all at the same time. Jesus said some confusing things about this coming age. He said it's coming in the future, which makes sense, right? But he also said it's already here. There were multiple times where Jesus would heal someone and he would say the kingdom of God has come upon you right now. There are times where he would say, hey, the kingdom of God is near. And then he'd say, the kingdom of God has been delayed. How can it be all those things? It's here. It's not here. It's now. It's not now. Jesus was always confusing like this. And here's the best way that I can explain it. And I'm going to tell you guys personally, person to person, not pastor, okay, just as a person, this understanding of the kingdom of God has changed my life. And I found this through becoming part of the vineyard, uh, I don't know, 15 years ago, and learning from other older, wiser Christians who, as I went through some of the hardest times of my life, were able to show me this. And that's why I'm sharing this with you. We live in the tension of the kingdom of God being here already, 
and it also not being here yet. And once again, I have one more picture for you. And this is the best way that I can explain it. When Jesus came, died, and rose again, he actually started the new age that we just talked about. No more tears, no more crying, no more pain. He began that while we are still in this stage. So there are, is a, a dual reality that we live in as Christians. When I say things like there's a dual reality that we live in as Christians, I think that might be the thing that drives everyone out of the church. And next week we'll show up and there'll be nobody here. But do you know what I mean? Like, so we live, we know it's an evil age, don't we? But we also see God doing things, right? I mean, hopefully you've seen God answer a prayer in your life. Hopefully you've seen God show you his goodness. You've seen God provide for you financially. Maybe you've seen God heal somebody that you prayed for. Maybe you've seen God heal you. Maybe you've seen God comfort you or bring life or bring joy or show you beauty and wisdom and all the things that come from the kingdom of God. How are they both happening? There will come a day when this age will end and this is all we will know. And that's when Jesus will come back. When he said, that he will come back and rescue us. Not, and it says not to, not to solve the sin problem, but to initiate salvation. That day is coming. But we live in the tension. We are, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we are people of the already and the not yet. That's why there's all those references as you read the, the letters of the apostles who wrote to different churches where they talked about things and they said, you are not citizens of this earth. You are citizens of heaven. How is that possible? But Paul's like, I'm a citizen of Rome, and he would talk about that, but I'm a citizen of heaven. We're citizens of America. We live in this evil age, but we are also more. And that's honestly what we long for. When we get angry about injustice, it's because we are built to long for this age. We are built, we know that that is coming, and we long for it. We're living in the tension of believing and seeing the kingdom of God today while also experiencing the brokenness of this evil age. We are an already and not yet people. And this is the problem. And what was so beautiful about Rebecca's testimony is even as she was talking about it, she was starting to point out the goodness of God in her life. Even as she's going through the most painful thing that any parent would ever experience, she's pointing out the goodness of God in her life. And that's the tension we live in. But it's also the beauty of being a follower of Jesus. That we are a people of hope and not hopelessness. That we're a people who are futurists. We're looking to what is coming. We're not stuck in what is happening. Because we are an already and a not yet people. Okay, I'm going to just overload you. You ready? Did anybody tap out yet? You're like, I'm done. Anybody stop listening? I saw a couple people fall asleep. Okay, sorry. I won't take it personally, I promise. Second Corinthians 6, 4 to 10. This is kind of long, but it's beautiful. Will you read this with me? I mean, not out loud. Just, just, you know, read in your head. Okay, so as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. Great endurance, troubles, hardships, distresses, beatings, imprisonments, riots, hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger. That is the not yet. That is not God's kingdom. That's the evil age we live in. Do you see that? Then he keeps going. Impurity, understanding, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, love, truth, the power of God. He shifts gears. He starts, and he's starting to talk about this dual reality. Yes, we have hardship. We have pain. We have struggle. But we have the power of God and the Holy Spirit and kindness. And then he goes back and forth. 
through glory and dishonor, through good report and bad report, genuine regarded as imposters, known and unknown, dying, and yet we live on, beaten, and yet we're not killed, sorrowful, we're always rejoicing, poor, making other people rich, having nothing and possessing everything. It's one of the most profound passages of scripture for me. It's this, I love how Jesus and the authors of the New Testament don't shy away from embracing the hardest parts of living on earth. And he's saying, Paul of all, know, of all people knows this reality. Paul's writing most of his letters sitting in a Roman prison, rotting. And he's writing letters like Philippians that say, let us be filled with joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. He's sitting in a dark, stinky Roman prison because he knows both glory and dishonor. And we know both loss and salvation. We know both pain and healing as followers of Jesus. I'm just going to leave that. It's pregnant pause. Everybody's like, what is it? What's the question? All right. If God is able and good, then why didn't he? So, band, you, can come, you guys can come up. This is the hardest question for me. I wanted to explain that to you because I'm going to say it again. I, as, as a pastor, as a friend, I want to try to help build a theological foundation so that when crisis hits, because it will, you can lean into it. And so it's not that God isn't good and it's not that he isn't able. It's that we are in a broken time. It helps me not look at God and say, I blame you, God. It helps me look at the brokenness of this world and say, this is a result of this broken world. And God, Jesus came to bring good into that time. The only thing I think is still a struggle is that we are taught that Jesus is our friend. And so we feel personally betrayed. And I think it's one of the hardest things about being a Christian. Now I'll just tell you, when we, after we lost our second child, I went on a little excursion. I had to, to get away and find myself again and understand God and had days of talking with him and saying things like, why didn't you do this for me? I, and, and, and I felt, you know, I'm, I'm not like saying that God talks out loud to me or anything, but I, I felt like this, this impression from God, a little bit of give and take, and I felt the thought come to me, why should I do it for you? And it was like, do, do you care about the thousands of other people who are suffering, the hundreds of thousands of other people? You're not crying out to me for them. Why do you deserve it and not them? And my answer, honestly, was because I've been a good person. I deserve it. I've sacrificed for you, God. And it began to just reveal how me-centric my whole deal was. And basically what I was saying is, God, I will only feel that you love me if you do whatever I tell you to do. I want to control you. And when you do what I tell you to do, I will feel that you love me. But when you cross me, I will complain and I will feel that you don't love me. You can play some keyboards if you want to. That's good. You didn't see that. I think this is one that you wrestle with. I don't think there's a, an easy answer to this. I don't think that I can stand up here and give you the A plus B equals C. This is one we have to wrestle with. I still wrestle with it because I still feel that we're to have a personal relationship with Jesus. I still feel he's my friend. I know that he loves me. I know he's able and he's good. And I know bad things happen. I know he 
He doesn't say yes to direct prayer requests that I make that I feel like he should be for. And so I still have to wrestle with that. But part of how I wrestle with it is realizing that it's not all about me. And I have to trust, I have to trust him. I want to end with a little bit of encouragement. So there are, there's reason for hope. Once we grasp the whole idea that Jesus came and that he is bringing and will bring the kingdom of God, that he is bringing peace and will bring total peace, that he is bringing healing, we do believe that God heals. But it doesn't happen all the time, but the time is coming when it will be fully healed. We do know Jesus right now, but there's a day when we will know him fully. Don't we know this in our own selves? Like, aren't there times when you do the things that you wish you didn't do? When you make mistakes and treat people horribly? That's not who you are, but Jesus tells you you are a new person in him. How is it that you are saved and yet still sinning? But there will be a day when you're made perfect. We are a people of the already, the kingdom of God, breaking into our lives and the not yet. We live in this evil present age. But there is hope, and there are four reasons to hope. Here is one. Jesus has been through the same thing. Before Jesus went to the cross, he cried out to the Father and he said, God, take this from me. Is there any way that we can do this mission without me having to suffer? And Jesus has been there. Because God said no. He said, Jesus, you live in this evil present age. We don't get everything that we need, even if God wanted to. It's a part of the broken system. Jesus had to suffer. And, and what's more is he, he, was never, he wasn't even part of making the system broken. <laughs> he had to suffer and die. So he knows what you're going through. You do not follow a God who's distant and removed. You follow Jesus who's been through what you're going through. Jesus will sustain us. I could have put a thousand different verses here. I love this one because it's so perfect. Even though I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm still alive. I'm not the one who has died, but I'm in the shadow of that death. You are with me. Jesus, that's so unique about Jesus is that he stands inside of our pain. He doesn't stand outside and and tell us to come on. Jesus gets into the valley with us. If you read on, it says, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Basically it says, you do good in the midst of evil, which is what I'm talking about. Jesus says, come to me if you're burdened, if you're weary, and I will give you rest. He will sustain us. Jesus is the ultimate redeemer. There's so much good that's come out of your testimony. And I would never want that good if we could have Lucas back. None of it would be worth it. But Jesus has brought so much good and will continue to. My personal belief is that God doesn't do evil so that he can make good things happen. My personal belief is there's plenty of evil happening in the world because it's a broken system. And God is a relentless redeemer. And he is coming into your life and he is redeeming that illness. He is redeeming that loss. He's redeeming that broken marriage. 
Maybe you've been through divorce and you feel like you don't have anything to offer and you're used goods, but God will make you new. Maybe you have lost someone, but God can bring good out of even the worst situations. He is a relentless redeemer in your life. Rebecca started this incredible nonprofit. I'm going to talk about it in a second. We're going to be selling her bracelets today out in the lobby. The Dutch Destroyer. There's so much to his story. If you haven't watched the Sports Center clips, you need to go watch them this week. But you've raised hundreds of thousands of dollars to help children who are fighting cancer. She's provided Christmas presents to families who are in the hospital with children who are dying from cancer. Her testimony saved the life of a little boy who they didn't know what he was struggling with. Oh man, if it's your first time here, <laughs> you're like, what is this church about? Woo! Okay. I, I swear, we laugh a lot more than we are normally. Um, okay, Jesus is coming back. I mean, this is the ultimate, the ultimate good hope, right? So the hope is Jesus has been through it, guys. He is in it with you. He will bring good. He is a relentless redeemer. And he's coming back, guys. Now, I'm not one of those Christians who's like, I'm going to just hold on. I can't wait till he comes back. No, I am, and I hope you can see this. We are a people not just of the not yet, but also the already. And we will give our all to bring life and healing and prosperity and love to our community that's living in this present evil age until he comes back. We're not just going to sit back. That's why he says you need to persevere. Because it's going to be hard. When you've done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come. Yes, and he will not delay. That day is coming. I was never big on like heaven and stuff as a Christian until I lost Malachi and hope. And now that day is going to be great. Because we'll be reunited. That day is going to be great because those of you who are struggling with disease and sickness, that That'll be over. That day is coming. Those of you who struggle with broken relationships, those relationships will be healed. So those are the four reasons that we have hope. And guys, this is why it's good news. Jesus died and rose again for this, to solve the problem of the present evil age. He saw his children suffering and he said, I will fix this. And he has come and started that time now. And the only reason I can give for why didn't he just solve it all immediately is he wants to find more of his children to follow him. There's another place in the the Bible that says that he is patient in coming back because he's waiting for more people to believe in him. She's going to end with two of the quotes that Rebecca said at the end. She said, we do not always get the answer we want from God, but that doesn't mean he isn't working in our lives. I've chosen to walk this path with faith and trust that he's with me on this journey. Can we stand together? Um, at City Light, we always end the teaching with a response and reflection time. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going we're to play a song. You're welcome to stay in your seats and sing this song. Um, we're also going to take communion. So uh, the way that we do communion is there's two tables over there on this side. And you just leave your chairs, head on over there. Um, If you're new to church or never been to church and you don't know what communion means, basically there's little pieces of bread and little cups of juice 
that represent the sacrifice that Jesus made when he died on the cross. And we take that to remember his sacrifice. If you're not comfortable taking that, fine. If you want to, if it's meaningful for you, please do. Um, we want to just point out this Saturday coming up, Rebecca is going to, there's a, a, a 5K to raise money for the Live Like Lucas Foundation. And so um, that is coming up. This is that is that on the screen? Yeah. So that's coming up this Saturday. Uh, it'll go out in the email tomorrow as well. And stop by. My wife will be selling these bracelets um, on the way out. So we're going to sing one more song, take communion, and then I'll come up and we'll... Jesus, we thank you uh, that you are the hope of the world, that you have answered the question of pain and suffering and separation from God. Thank you, Jesus, that you have brought your kingdom now and that your kingdom is still coming. And we thank you that we get to be part of bringing that kingdom, that you taught us to pray, your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. Let us be people of the already and the not yet in the, in the lives that we lead. God, we pray for the Burmeth family. We pray for you to comfort and strengthen them. We pray for you to be an ever-present help as they walk this difficult road. And we pray for everyone in this room who right now, there is a, a, a grief, there is a pain, there is an obstacle that is just too much. It just feels like too much. God, would you come and give them your hope? When our fears have been realized, God, would you come and join us in walking through that valley? Thank you for your love, God. Amen.